Hello and welcome to Oh What A Time, the history podcast that tries to decide if the past really did involve people leaving their doors open and everyone just looking after their own. I'm Chris Skull. I've been told that by so many different people. But anyway, <laughs> yes, I'm Ellis James. <laughs> and I'm Tom Crane. And each week on this show, we'll be looking at a brand new historical subject. And today, we're going to be discussing Hubba Hubba, Kiss Kiss Kiss, It's Love. <laughs> Tom, you know, with the greatest respect, that's sex. I would say this is more of a love episode than sex. Yeah. Would you? Yeah, this is a post-coital cuddle yeah. as opposed to making the beast with two backs. I thought hubba hubba meant gazing longingly at someone. No. But not necessarily in a, a, a tickly sexual way. It's just kind of, <laughs> oh, hubba hubba, me and you on the sofa, winking. No, no, hubba hubba is the kind of thing that happens in a... Uh, Rural car park in Derbyshire with uh, <laughs> cars flashing their lights. And just to check, what Hubba Bubba is the strange strawberry flavoured chewing gum that I used to have when I was about 12. Yeah, okay, good. I, I know where I am with that. So today, what are we talking about? What are the subjects we're hitting them with today? Well, each week on the show, we'll be looking at a new historical subject and say we're going to be discussing love. And we'll be discussing the Welsh patron saint of love. The History of Valentine's Day, Mozart and his love letters. And for the uh, fourth part, for our bonus subscribers, for the Oh What A Time full-timers, we're going to be describing and discussing the history of dating. Before we crack into the history, shall we crack into a little bit of correspondence? Does that sound good? Oh, yes. As always, our wonderful listeners, and thank you very much for spending your time with us and sending your wonderful emails. We really do appreciate the support. Uh, have come up trumps. Adam Groves has emailed the show. Now, this is, this is quite a thought-provoking one, actually. Are you ready for thought-provoking? We haven't really done this before. It's normally just quite mad. <laughs> oh, go on. Okay. Anima said, I just came across the following attached quote on Twitter and found it thought-provoking. It relates to one-day time machine. And the quote is, when people talk about travelling to the past, they worry about radically changing the present by doing something small. But barely anyone in the present really thinks that they can radically change the future by doing something small. So if you were time-travelling to the present... It's a weird idea. What would you each change? Which I think is a shorthand way of saying what are you going to change about where you're living your life and how are you going to improve the world? But yeah, it's quite interesting, that idea that when you people go back to the past, they think, okay, what am I going to do? How is it going to change the future? What's going to... But people don't really have that. Well, do you know what it is? Yeah. People think that changing the future by going back and doing something in the past and changing the past is very easy. They think, oh, I'll, I'll go back to the year 1800. Yeah. I'll do one <laughs> tweak. I'll tell one person one thing. By the time... I, I sort of travel back to 2024. There'll be no war and everyone will be happy and there'll be yeah. no famine and everything will be great. But obviously changing the present is very difficult because you've got politicians and pressure groups and protesters and all sorts of things. So the idea of actually changing the present is so overwhelming, people can't handle it. But they do like to daydream about going back in time 500 years tap, tapping a king on the shoulder and then suddenly it's 2024 we've all got these fantastic lives it's so true i had a chat with someone l it's a friend from bath about the idea of going back in time what you do it's a couple of years ago and he was saying he would go back to world war ii and kill hitler yeah yeah, yeah. like that what like they weren't Ex trying to do that exactly. anyway <laughs> Like we just needed some guy from 2023, as it was then, or whatever, to head back with his ideas. Yeah, just some some bloke with an unusable iPhone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I've got a torch on it. I mean, that still works. I don't need Wi-Fi for that. <laughs> just to tell you the information, he's a graphic designer. <laughs> <laughs> he lives in Bristol. 
I mean, he's a very nice man. I love him, but... He's a man for the case. Yeah, exactly. The thing I always think, if you wanted to go back in time, for example, and try and warn the Germans that Hitler was a bad guy, is anyone going to listen to you? I think it'd be a reason, really... If you went back to 2016 and tried to convince people that Brexit might be a bad idea, no one's going to listen. They're going to believe you. People would be like, it's 1932... So you won the election in 33, didn't you, Hitler? In 1932, Chris Skull, people are like, well, that guy in the Nike Air train isn't. No way. And the gel in his hair. <laughs> future boy. <laughs> well, that might actually be your one chance, Ellis, if you can point to your futuristic shoes and yeah, find yeah, how comfy yeah. they are. If you're the only guy who's got shoes that comfy in the world, what else are you getting right? My trainers have had air injected into them, which makes me better <laughs> at basketball, a game I don't play. Now then, to Hitler. <laughs> so yeah, but that's, that's quite an interesting one. Thank you for that, Adam. If you want to send us any thought-provoking emails, if you want to get deep, if you really want to sort of, you know, look at the more important issues that circulate around One Day Time Machine, do get in contact with the show. Yeah, we could do an Oh What a Time profound episode where we're just really, really <laughs> profound. <laughs> It'll be shorter than our normal ones, but we'll, we'll, we'll do that. We'll do that. <laughs> And this is how you get in contact with the show. All right, you horrible lot. Here's how you can stay in touch with the show. You can email us at hello at ohwhatatime.com and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ohwhatatimepod. Now, clear off. This episode of Oh What A Time is brought to you by NordVPN. Tom, you are, in history, what is known as a Luddite. Yes. (laughs) You use a 56K dial-up modem. Yeah. But let me bring you into 2024. Let me tell you about NordVPN. Exciting. Oh, you've used NordVPN. I have used NordVPN. I have happily claimed that my computer and IP address is based in Bulgaria. Why? That's not important, is it? But the fact is, I've done it, and I love NordVPN for allowing me to do that. Think of NordVPN, Tom, like a one-day internet machine where you can take it anywhere in the world and make your computer act on the internet like it is in a different country. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. You've always wanted an Austrian laptop, haven't you? Well, now you can have one. (laughs) 60,000 plus servers in 61 countries change your virtual location easily. You can get an exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash O-W-A-T. That's nordvpn.com forward slash O-W-A-T. And it's risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Fit for even a Luddite like Tom. Enjoy your Scandinavian laptops. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So on today's show, I'll be telling you all about Mozart and his horny love letters. I'll be talking to you about the history of Valentine's Day. Oh, and I will be talking to you about Santis Duinwen. She was an obscure 5th century Welsh saint, and I used Santis Duinwen to my own dating ends, Tom. Oh, 
and Chris. Wow. Because she's basically the the Welsh St. Valentine. So Dinner Santa's doing when or Santa's doing when day serves the same purpose as Valentine's Day, but it's the 25th of January. And I did this with Izzy, uh, my fiance, and I've done this with other English girlfriends. Where on the twenty fifth of January, I've given them a card and they said, "What's this? What's this? Says, why are you giving me a card?" And I'm like, "That is the Welsh Valentine's Day." Oh my God, I love you so much! And they're always like, "Oh God, Alice, you're so romantic." And I'm like, well, "Really, little old me? Not really." You're not like, like other guys. <laughs> so different. So what what might it say on this Welsh Valentine's card? Is it is it similar to an English one, or you know, it a- tends to be. A little bit less tacky, okay, than the Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah, here no. we go. Oh, yeah. Well, I was wondering <laughs> yes. when those jams yeah, would come. Good, dirty old English <laughs> Valentine's Day. All of you flocking down to Clinton's to sort something out. Your xenophobic it's jabs so would come out. <laughs> <laughs> so, it normally lasts longer than this. On the island of Anglesey, off the northwest coast of Wales, is an isolated ruined church. And this, is, this church is dedicated to a largely obscure 5th century saint, although she's not as obscure as she was, uh, whose feast day, the 25th of January, is celebrated by the Welsh as an alternative to St. Valentine's Day. Although uh, St. Valentine's Day in Welsh is done as St. as well, so we do celebrate that. So you, you get double bubble if you're going out with a Welsh speaker. Double Valentine's Day is in Wales. Yeah. What a romantic nation. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, no one ever says that. They, they always say that about the French. They never say about the Welsh. Yeah. Now, it's difficult to establish exactly who Santa's doing when was, or if she really existed at all. It's all a matter of faith. You've got to believe, man. Now, the commonest held belief is that she was one of the daughters of Brychan, king of Brycheiniog, and he had dozens of daughters, okay? And Brycheiniog was the mid-Wales kingdom with Brecon at its heart, although they can't really establish this as fact. Right. And there are lots of Welsh myths about doing when. And basically anyone who passed through Brecon in the 5th century has one point been called the daughter of Brechan. Now the story goes that a young man called uh, Mylon de Vaudrill fell in love with Doinwen and he asked for her hand in marriage. Classic. Her father, what are the plans, refused the match. Okay, oh. now unable to marry, Doinwen tearfully rejects Mylon and asks God for a solution. Mylon, meanwhile, for reasons that are obscure, finds himself encased in ice. <laughs> And, and just to cover, people don't know if this is true or not. <laughs> well, this is the myth. There's a lot of myth around. But is it true? Did it happen? Now then. Did it happen? Eventually, the young woman is granted three wishes by the Almighty. Number one, that Mylon is to be released from his ice prison. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's the good news. <laughs> Should we start with the good news? Yeah. Number two, that God look after all true lovers, of which I am one, using her as his instrument. And uh, number three, that she remains unmarried for the rest of her life. Oh. Now, the old ice prison thing, the ancient Welsh myths and the Celtic myths, in particular the Mabinogi or the Mabinogion as known in English, they are fantastic, but so weird. Yeah. Like, it's all, and then he threw a spear at her and she turned into an owl made of flowers. It's like it's a <laughs> stuff. There is a... In, in modern writing, so as a writer is my job, one of the key... Tom, if you use that as one of your plot twists, people will think, no, no, how can how can we film that? <laughs> well, exactly. There is a key justification in the way you write a story, which is basically this thing called therefore but, which means that if anything happens, the event afterwards has to happen therefore or it's but. So this happens but then or therefore. 
you can't just drop the fact this man is suddenly encased in ice and have no justification whatsoever. <laughs> it doesn't come from anywhere. It doesn't adhere to any of the storytelling rules. You, you've got to you've got to hint at maybe at least in a scene before go. Oh, it's, it's a bit unusually chilly, isn't, isn't it? He comes in wearing three jumpers. Tom, go, what's going on, <laughs> Tom? This is, he's not romantic, is he, Ellis? He's not romantic. That's why he'd never be a romantic Welsh lover. Exactly. It's Brecon. It's the 5th century. Get on with it. <laughs> it was happening all the time back then. You go out, you go out to the, uh, the post office, then but, suddenly... Yeah, like, oh, my God. You know, women coming out of lakes and all that kind of... It, I bought the the Penguin edition of the Mabinogi, because I, I had the kids' book version when I was sort of seven or eight, and they're illustrated, and they're absolutely crazy stories and I, I about 10 years ago I read the the the, pen, the penguin version and it's a penguin classic like the story they're sort of 1600 years old but they are so nuts but anyway now to ensure that Doinman cannot fall to temptation she moves to the tidal outlay of Ennis uh, in Anglesey and she lives there until her death in about sort of 460 AD now the cult of Santos Doinman developed really in the middle ages that's when it developed in earnest when in the 14th century, and maybe a little bit earlier, her church in nearby Well came to be regarded as a holy shrine, one dedicated, as she apparently wished, to the destinies and fortunes of lovers. Now, one of those who wrote poems in service of this cult was the noted medieval Welsh bard, David Ap Gwilym. Now, David, I've got a little uh, translated excerpt here. Doing when, your beauty like the hoarfrost's tears, from your chancel with its blazing waxen candles, well does your golden image know how to assuage the griefs of wretched men. Now, David, he's a really interesting bloke because he wrote poetry in this really strict metre and it's technically very difficult to write. And a lot of people have sort of studied him and his poetry in conjunction with other poets in Europe at the time as part of a sort of European bardic tradition. And six, seven hundred years on, in the same way that, you know, English academics are still studying Chaucer or Shakespeare, we're still studying him. But you can't get away from the fact he wrote a lot of technically very difficult poems about his penis. <laughs> he absolutely <laughs> loved writing poetry about his knob. I, I can't really say any further than that. <laughs> Are there a number of them? Loads. No. I'm imagining his English teacher or Welsh teacher is doing fine. Each week as he hands in yet another one. <laughs> Come on, mate. Come on. Just a little bit of let up. The interesting thing with Welsh language literature, we're so obsessed with poetry. It has a, still has a huge place in Welsh language culture. And poets are these really, really venerated people, far more than novelists and far more than playwrights. We're obsessed with poems, right? And he's like the absolute don. And obviously not all of them are about dicks, but there's just like a significant <laughs> enough proportion that as a 14-year-old reading this book, I was like, yeah, mum, dad, I'm into literature now. <laughs> is it safe to say he was the world's leading penis poet? Is that, is that, is that a fair statement or not? <laughs> He's certainly part of the conversation. Now, David Trevor, who is another medieval Welsh poet, wrote work describing the act of pilgrimage to the saints, to Doinwen's shrine, for instance. So it wasn't just David Apgulim, was David Apgulim who was doing it. Now, a commemorative window to Doinwen was also installed at Bangor Cathedral, where Trevor had been a canon at the end of the 15th century. And in the 16th century, we find testimony from Ellis Griffith, the Catholic-turned-Protestant chronicler, who regularly appealed to the loving protection of the saint. But then the Reformation kicked in and veneration of old Celtic and Catholic saints fell by the wayside right? because you had religious wars between Protestants and Catholics. 
not to mention, of course, the tussle between Parliament and the monarch. So that gave people other things to worry about. Now, by the 18th century, a mixture of antiquarianism, which had come back into fashion, and curiosity about Britain's ancient, in inverted commas, past, led to the partial recovery of medieval faith. So in 1761, Richard Challoner published his Memorial of Ancient British Piety, for example, which included Doinwen and her feast day of January the 25th, but he didn't detail how to celebrate sort of Doinwen's day. Now, the real invention of Doinwen as the British Venus, the Welsh equivalent or alternative to St. Valentine, occurred in the 19th century, spurred on by an absolutely fascinating bloke. And to be honest, I've just thought of an episode title. We should be doing myths. Oh, great, yeah. Because Yolo Morgano, who was a Welshman who was born in the 18th century, he was the kind of arch-creator of pretty much every Welsh myth and legend, right? He's behind a lot of it. So he was trying to create a Welsh identity. So a lot of the druidic stuff that we thought we were doing, he was forging it. Oh, really? So he's an absolutely fascinating bloke, Yolo Morganog. But then what's happened? Because he was forging it so long ago. We've now been doing it for hundreds of years. But you're saying so there were mythological practices that people assumed were ancient druidic things, but he was just coming up with them. Yeah, yeah, were forgeries, which he was doing in the sort of late wow. 1700s. That's so interesting. Yeah, why not? Makes sense. Now, there was this sort of neo-cult. It was, it was growing at the end of Victoria's reign. There was a period of nationalist revival across Scotland, Ireland and Wales, you know, home rule and that kind of thing. And there was the Cymru Vith movement, which was quite similar in Wales at the time. And these people were really into Welsh, Scottish, Irish myths, okay? So, so to venerate Doinwen was one way of declaring your love for the nation. So there were plays performed at the National Eisteddfod, which is a big Welsh cultural festival, in 1883. There was a rousing chorus written by Joseph Parry, who I think was um, a composer, published in 1886. Caves were redesignated as belonging to Doinwen, and a brand new Celtic cross was erected on Ennis Llandoin. And it was ostensibly to celebrate Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee in 1897, but really it kind of filled this, this Welsh revival. Now, this sort of wave of nationalism, it waxed and then it waned again. And when it waned, this appealed to having a sort of a Welsh language or a Welsh valentine. It sort of waned alongside it. And we forgot about it a little bit then. So the Doinwen neo-cult was very little venerated in the early 20th century, but we'd completely forgotten about it. Now, as late as 1960... One newspaper said, oh, it's just a silly superstition. Now, by the end of the decade, though, there was another wave of Welsh language revivalism with ah. stuff like the Welsh Language Society, where they were protesting for Welsh to have equal status alongside English yep. as the language of the of the country. So then they kind of rediscovered Doinwen, right? But by this point, Valentine's Day was massive. So on the 24th of January 1969, it was reported in the Welsh press the postman in Wales would deliver more than 2,000 St. Valentine's Day cards tomorrow, all in Welsh. But not Doinwen cards, it were Valentine's Day cards. Ah. So by this point, we've still got one romantic day in the year, not two. In the 60s and 70s, she had little purchase, really, outside of Welsh-language revivalist circles, which was quite small. Most Welsh people wait until February the 14th, but then in the 1990s, when you had things like devolution, and that, this is what I remember, because I was a teenager in the 90s, she was kind of rediscovered again and she stuck around. So there was this yeah. growing demand for a Welsh alternative to mainstream sort of English or Anglophone traditions. So completely bound up in identity and these sort of this idea of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and how commercial she was. Yeah. So 
you know, certainly, I mean, I think I would say amongst Welsh speakers, she's kind of now superseded St. Valentine as the saint with the strongest love charm. Yeah. So does that mean that people will primarily celebrate, well, the Romantic Day in Wales is primarily this day, at the end of January then? I would certainly say amongst Welsh speakers. Really? So you know how in primary school, I used to hate this, there would be a post box and you could deliver your Valentine's cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So now, in a Welsh-language primary school, that would be on the 25th of January rather than on the 14th of February. How interesting. Because wow. we've kind of rediscovered, and she's here to stay now, because commercially it's quite a big deal. But yeah, it's quite an interesting story. Which is interesting because it means you can find out earlier that nobody fancies you in your class. <laughs> sort of, you don't have to wait till mid-February to find yeah. out that... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good to get that out of the way. It's a, it's a pilot Valentine's Day. Yeah. There it goes. <laughs> But we should do myths, because Yolanda Morgano, it is crazy, the stuff he was coming up with. And he was doing it on drugs. He was taking laudanum. Oh, right, yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was, um, a lot of it, like, he uh, he was coming up with stuff. A lot of it, a lot of it was done on Primrose Hill in, in London. Yeah. He's a really, really interesting bloke. He's got the most amazing 18th century mullet you've ever seen in your life. Sold. <laughs> um, final question, El. So now... Do you still celebrate both? You as a person, would you give a card on both days to Izzy? or I celebrate neither, Tom, because I've got an awful lot on my plate. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, fair enough. And it comes around and, and I forget. <laughs> okay, fine. And on the, it actually, because obviously it was a couple of weeks ago, and on the 25th, I was looking at my diary and I was writing with you, I was writing Fancy Football League, and I was like, right, what have I got to do today? On the 25th of January, what's, hang on that. That was, oh God, Santa's doing well. I thought, can I be asked? No, I can't. And the same thing will happen on February the 14th. So sorry, Izzy, but (laughs) sorry, sorry. Anyway, that is the end of part one of this week's episode of Oh What A Time. Join us tomorrow for part two, where Tom will be discussing St. Valentine. And uh, Chris, what will you be discussing? Mozart and his love letters. Oh, lovely stuff. And there's a fourth part, which is the history of dating. If you want all that right now, you can become an Oh What A Time full-timer at ohwhatatime.com. Otherwise, we'll see you tomorrow. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase 
Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.